Hey, what's up, everybody? So, welcome to the next episode of the podcast. I'm joined by a very good friend of mine, Richard Bridger. Um, he's currently managing Comrade Safaris here in the Eastern Cape. I've learned so much from him over the past few years that I've been fortunate to know the guy. Um, we chat a little bit about conservation, a little about what you need to uh, ask going to uh, the American shows next year. Uh, what's there to look forward to from next year and beyond for Comrade Safaris and other outfitters. Um, we chat about certain species, hunting packages, uh, whatever you need to know. It's there. Uh, he's a fellow PH. I've learned so much from him again. And uh, I really look forward to... Uh, I really had a great time just sitting down with him and, and chatting. Um, I've got to give a big shout out to my beautiful wife, um, my stunning daughter as well. Um, my mom, my brother... Max's tires still fitted the still got the razors on my pickup at the moment. They're doing exceptionally well. Can't fault them as of yet. Um put them to some extreme tests and they've held out pretty well. Remember quietest mud terrain on the road at the moment. Um yeah, big shout out to Love Tires as well, obviously. Um kitting them and sorting out all my needs. And then last but not least, trees and camo, guys fantastic camo uh, if you're looking to come out to south africa and you're a little bit iffy about what to bring check out trees in camo trust me i've tested the stuff out it works it's it stands up to the test with our acacia bushes and uh, jumping cactuses around you this stuff is amazing um, have a look at their website uh, i think the south african ones trees in camo uh, treason.co.za or treason.com hit them up on social media uh, facebook instagram share them have a look at them trust me this stuff stands up to the test um yeah so guys everyone that supported me thus far thanks once again I, I can't thank you guys enough it's been an amazing journey thus far the support is unreal um i will be in reno next year um i'm looking really forward to that unfortunately i couldn't make it to dallas I've got my little one's first birthday party, so um, I'll be celebrating in other ways. Um, but sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and um, Richard, Richard, Richard Bridget. Okay, welcome to the next episode of the podcast. Um, yeah, with my good friend or Richard Bridger. Rich, welcome. Thank you very much for having me on the show, Dill. Like it, Jonah. So, other than being Father Christmas down here in the Southern Hemisphere, what are you getting up to this time of year? Well, the marketing uh, side is uh, in full swing now for the new year. Um, basically, our hands are finished for the year and. Uh, it's pretty much maintenance as well on the property, you know, from windmills to um, troughs, dams, you know, we're cleaning a lot of our 
our natural uh, dams and um, we're also trying to eradicate soil erosion and that kind of thing. So that's what keeps us busy at the moment. And then other than uh, so preparing yourself for next year and stuff like that, so what, what, what are the steps going forward now? Getting banners and all of that sort of jazz ready and then stepping into the whole marketing thing. So... Yeah, basically, um, you know, it's um, getting our new price list together, packages, that kind of thing, banners, you know, booking the shows. It's all the logistical uh, thing at the moment, um, getting everything ready, flights and that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, we're pretty full steam ahead on that at the moment. Rich, going going forward now, next year, with this hell of a drought we've had, what like what what sort of precautions are you guys taking? What 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 can we expect going forward next year? What you know what what's it going to be like? Because at the moment it's dry. I mean, shit, we haven't had any rain or anything like that. So, what have you guys done to you know keep your good bulls and good good quality genes going? Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, on portions of our property, we do have still quite a bit of grazing. Um, there are areas where we are pretty down to the ground. Um, so, yeah, we try and keep it as natural as possible without feeding and that kind of thing. But uh, unfortunately, every now and again, you do have to step in and make sure that your um, breeding stock is still going for the new year. Um, but in the interim, we're also drilling uh, wells to get water out for the animals and that kind of thing, putting in solar units. Um, we're cleaning out uh, dams, you know, that have silted up over the years. So when it does rain... It can hold water for longer. Um, yeah, we try and not impact the um, natural process too much, but uh, you know there are times where you have to step in and uh, for the survival of the business and the animals. So yeah, that's pretty much what we're doing at the moment. Rich, just from your personal side, just give a bit of a background there to everyone watching and and listening to this. Where, how long you been in the industry for? Uh, how long you've been working here, comrade for, and all that sort of jazz? Yeah, well, I've been in the industry, uh, I think this is the 17th year now, so, yeah, I mean, it's something I've always wanted to do as a kid growing up, and I was fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to start it, and, uh, yeah, it's just flown from there. I mean, the first few years were not easy, and uh, comrade safaris, I've basically been here since 2010, Um you know, while I was uh, hunting, I also had a construction company and I built the lodges and chalets and that kind of thing, yeah, for the first three years and renovated and that kind of thing and hunted in between as well. So, you know, pretty much I haven't left then. And uh, obviously with Greg taking over Comrie Safaris, he saw that I had quite a bit of input with the property and I knew what was going on, yeah. And he offered me the position to run the outfitting business, so... Uh, I took that uh, with open arms because I really uh, hold Comrie Safaris close to my heart. I've been here from the beginning, you know. So, yeah. And then as far as what Comrie do, I mean, you guys go up into Zim or is it Namibia and that sort of stuff or other hunts, you know, whatever species you can't get down here. You go. Yeah, we do most of our planes game uh, on the property uh, and uh, buffalo and that kind of thing. But we also do a lot of hunting in Namibia, Zimbabwe and Mozambique. Um you know, the, the big five and that kind of thing, we do a lot of that there. Um, in fact, I've got to go and do two leopard in Namibia in the new year. Yeah. So we we kind of, uh, when the market was a bit unstable up there in Zim, we kind of backed away a bit, but everything st- seems to be sorting itself out. So we will be marketing more in those countries. Um, uh, so that's our plan for the new year, yeah. 
What's it, what's it like in Zim and stuff like that? Because, I mean, I know um, a lot of people, as far as safety is concerned, are very wary to come out and try those places out. And But, I mean, you guys are still hunting there. you still got active hunting ranches there. Or, or is it, um, what's it, concessions? Concessions, yeah. yeah. So, you guys are still, I mean, there's no danger or anything like that. Guys don't have to be worried about it. No, the locals are very supportive of the hunters and that kind of thing. You know, Zimbabwe had the um, crisis a few years back, but they seem to be ironing that out, and you know, the new government seems to be, you know, helping the outfitters and that kind of thing. So it seems to be a lot more stable now. Um, and yeah, like the areas that we've uh, always been used using the concessions, they've never really had any problems. So yeah, as long as you've got the support of the locals and uh, that kind of thing, then you should be okay. Oh, because I mean, you you hunt big, your big toms are there, your big leopard and. That sort of stuff. Is elephant open in Zim or is that still a question mark at the moment? It's a question mark at the moment. Uh, moment. Yeah, there's, you know, you never know. I mean, there's just been a scientist meeting a little while ago. So we're just waiting for some answers and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, we're hoping to get back into the area with the elephant. And uh, there is talk of also Botswana being open for elephant, but there will also be limited tags issued there as okay. well. And you guys are still involved in the Botswana side of things? Um, we've never really done the Botswana side, but, uh, you know, if they're going to open and the other areas are closed, we're going to obviously get into the areas for elephant yeah. and that kind of thing. Okay, and they're based more on, like, a concession? Yeah, basically, um, we uh, hire from another outfitter then we hunt his area. Okay. Um, he issues us a certain amount of tags. It goes for all the um, countries that we hunt out of South yeah. Africa. You know, they give us a certain amount of tags. And we use the areas, the concessions. We are in the process of getting our own concession in Zimbabwe. Um, okay. It's a half a million hectares. Um, it's just uh, the finer detail now. And we we were hoping to have it for the new year. I'm not 100% sure if it will be done by then. Unfortunately, we are in Africa and things are a little bit slow. Yeah. <laughs> African time. Yeah. But um, did you see that message I posted? I think John Sharp put it on his Facebook page about that. Uh, importing of lion and elephant trophies and stuff. I know it was a very vague message about uh, whether captive bred was included or not that, but I did a bit of research last night on it. Um, and it looks like for now it's just in the open concessions. So they get limited tags and stuff. Going forward, I think this is the right step. Do you think this is the way, f you know, baby steps going forward to maybe introducing it into South Africa into captive bread lines, or is that still a very iffy topic? Yeah, it's a bit of a catch-22. Um, you know, we got a lot of people that are divided about it at the moment. My personal opinion, I think uh, captive bread lion hunting um, is a very good thing. It takes pressure off the wild population of lion. And, uh, you know, people... Uh, don't realize it's the same as any other animal. Mm. I think because it's a lion and they've seen it on uh, the Lion King and that yeah. kind of thing that uh, they can, you know, put it in a separate uh, box compared to the other animals. Yeah. But it doesn't work like that. And uh, when you take away hunting of lions and that kind of thing, it depreciates the value and uh, they don't realize that. Yeah, I was, I was just reading something now as well. I don't know if it's true. You know, these stories on Facebook, you can never really take for, for what they are. But um, Bill Gates apparently gave a whole phone the guys from Botswana and now Botswana has got a history for the conservation we know one of the leaders in Africa at the moment yeah. so um 
But he, he gave an offer to whatever concession it was over there. And uh, he said, well, whatever you make out of hunting, I'll pay you that And if you just stop hunting. But people don't understand the the, the background of it. You know, People are still going to get paid. We're still going to conserve or preserve the, the species that we are hunting and stuff like that. So what sort of steps are we taking here in South Africa? Are we taking the right steps? Um, with all this color variance now also going on, are we taking the right steps to actually win these battles against the tree yagas or whatever we call them? Yeah, I mean, going back to the Bill Gates thing first, um, it's all good and well paying uh, for the hunting that was going on there and have hunting banned from the area. But the problem is it's not just the pain of it. It is meat for the locals. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not going to be subsidizing meat for them. And also what is going to control the outburst of you know, populations of animals yeah. there if we're not going to be hunting them. So, I mean, Kenya is a prime example of, you know, when they stopped hunting there, the vegetation has gone to ruins there. Yeah. So that is uh, a, a concern. Um, and trying to explain to these guys how to do it, you know, they just switch their mind off and that kind of thing. South Africa, I mean, it's a success story. I mean, you know, numbers have come up. Bontebok, Black Vildebius are good examples of, you know, conservation yeah. and breeding programs and that kind of thing. The color variant thing is you know it's also a bit of a iffy thing at the moment a lot of people agree with it some don't um personally i don't have any problem with it i mean you do have clients that enjoy shooting that kind of thing and i mean why stop them from hunting yeah. these animals so yeah yeah but um <coughs> yeah you mentioned the bonter book and there was the rob uh, i was following the rob story quite well um but uh, the the, the box is an interesting one now because now it's it was listed on CITES, am I correct? So yeah. now so now they but now they've stopped the importing into Namibia and that's because of the foot and mouth or was there other specific reasons for that? Um, Dylan, I'm not hundred percent sure what's going on there. Um, I think it has also been moved from Appendix Two to Appendix One. So you know, at the moment we can't export to the US um, yeah. trophies and that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's it's so difficult uh, to follow this whole thing because these different groups pulling in different directions, you know, until we get confirmation over everything and our way forward with hunting these species, um, we've got our hands tied. Um, a prime example is uh, the Cape Mountain Zebra. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look on Wikipedia, it says there's 500 uh, Cape Mountain Zebra on the on the planet. I mean, it's absolute dogwash. I mean, yeah. we've got close to 150 of our own. So, you know, there's a lot of false uh, information out there. And uh, I think it's, our, you know, as hunters to try and educate the mm -hmm. guys out there on how we are doing these things and, you know, conserving the animals and that kind of thing. Yeah, but does it not frustrate you, like managing a property and all that sort of stuff? When yeah, I don't know who's pulling the shots here. I don't know if it's U.S. Fish and Wildlife or whether it's our... Uh, What's it? What have we got? The green scorpions and that mm. here in South Africa. Who's dictating to us what what needs to what can and what can't have permits to export and all these sort of things? Because it, it's, it's to me, it's just got to be one of the most frustrating things. Because yeah, you are you're trying to breed the numbers up, you're trying to preserve the animals, but these guys can be pulling shots thousands and thousands of kilometers away and not even know what the hell's going on yeah because i mean for instance what was it the black wildebeest and the blue wildebeest they weren't allowed to be in the same camps but for how many generations have they been running the you know so who's pulling these shots 
does it have an effect on you guys i mean it's got to be frustrating no for sure it is um unfortunately uh, u.s fish and wildlife make all the decisions on our import export uh, market and uh, they get pressure from you know peter and groups like that mm-hmm. and uh, without going into detail you know i mean as phs we often talk about it you don't see us telling them how to manage the yeah. deer population i mean we have absolutely no idea yeah and i think they need to get more involved and come over to our country and just you know mm. have a look and see what's going on speak to the guys that are involved in conservation and then make the calls off of that not of, of pressure that they get on that mm. side but i i think it's also we trust them way too much but but you know th- we, we, we can't badmouth them too much i mean the tax system in the states works really really well as far as what i know yeah. you know they've also made some shit calls there like the wolf population in yellowstone and all that sort of jazz that so yeah I, I, you know for me it's just it's just so frustrating for these people to to call these shots um when they should be consulting oaks on the floor phs uh mm. game farm owners and that sort of stuff because i mean what, what what are we doing to um how can i say fight these guys or we just we just letting them do whatever the the hell they want with our land you know yeah look um our organizations you obviously do approach them but i mean i think it falls on deaf ears that side um their hands are also pretty much tied i mean they don't make the final call they just try and our guys decide try and convince them otherwise you know yeah and uh yeah it doesn't seem to be working all the time let's leave the negative talk for a little (laughs) while so rich tell me Give me a little bit of a background on one of your best hunts you've been on, and and, and what's your favourite animal to hunt? Hey, they've all been good, Dill. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, in the Eastern Cape, I think uh, the Volreebuck is one of my favourite. I mean, it's it's really a difficult little yeah. animal, um, you know, to hunt, and you know the closer tribe that's in our area, they got a little saying that says there's a little worm on its brain. It tells it when a human is approaching and to get out of there. As we've noticed, they yeah. run away at, when they see you a kilometer away, yeah. you know. So it's a it's a difficult animal to hunt, but it's a very rewarding hunt. Okay. And, uh, you know, dangerous game, anything. I love Cape Buffalo hunting, um, but any dangerous game you put in front of me, I love it. For for those guys that are wanting to come over here for the first time, um, we'll get into the nitty-gritty of it a little bit later, but... If you had to draw up an ideal package for them, what would you say? Father and son, let's say, coming over. Yeah, I mean, for first-timers, I mean, I wouldn't recommend going for the dangerous game and that kind of thing. You know, cut your teeth on the planes game kind of thing. Mm. I mean, being in the Eastern Cape, a kudu's always going to be top of the list. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's an iconic thing, yeah. And then the bread and butter animal, you know, like Impala, Blessback, Springback, that kind of thing. Um, warthog, I mean, everyone loves a warthog. Not the prettiest animal, but you know, we all love it. Yes, I hate hunting those things. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm um, so rich as well. <clears throat> what what would they need to do coming out? Because we've we've had I mean, especially now going to the shows and stuff. What what would you suggest to people going to these booths and wanting to come over to Africa? What sort of questions do they need to ask? What what uh, information do they need to take other than hunting to prepare themselves to come over here? Well, you know, we assist the guys right from the beginning to the end with from mm-hmm. booking flights to what they must pack and that kind of thing. So basically, we give them an information package, you know, of okay. what to expect, yeah, what to bring clothing-wise, 
Um, we provide them with details in uh, on insurance, travel insurance. You know, we use Global Rescue a lot. Um, you know, it's just, you know, you've got to get all your ducks in a row. And we share the trip all the way with them. I mean, it's not just a matter of booking a hunt and, you know, we'll see you in six months' time. We just help them every step of the way. And we're open to any questions when they are um, booking a hunt with us. So, yeah, we... The key is just to give them as much information as possible when they book that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then ideally on, on your guys' property specifically, well, what's your ideal number of hunters you would allow on, on, on a property this size? Well, we can accommodate up to 20 people, which would be couples as well. But uh, generally, you know, we try and keep it, you know, up to about six hunters, eight okay. hunters maximum at a time. I mean, we've got a pretty large property. It's 22,000 acres. Uh, okay. Know, there's a lot of space in between so but you've you know. got also surrounding farms i mean if, if for the kudu and for those niche little um what can i say the animals that you that you would hunt out for so there's there's a whole bunch of variety here. we're not limited to a certain amount here on comrade we've got all yeah i mean the, we've got massive concessions all around us that we you know we've signed up that uh give us priority and that kind of thing because obviously you can't get everything on one property yeah. i mean there are species you have to drive a little bit for and we've got other properties that we own as well you know that we hunt um so yeah rich a big thing for me going forward um and i know you've been in the game for a very long time so for for us guys coming through you know being young phs and stuff what you know, there's there's so many outfitters out there and there's so many PHs out there that are doing things unethically. What is the first warning signs if you had to tell somebody to look out for as far as these guys taking chances in the industry? Yeah, Dill, I think the biggest thing is guys hunting out of season, you know. I mean, especially on open concessions on the outside. I mean, they can change your name very quickly. You can yeah. lose your license and that. You know, as a junior PH coming in, it's very difficult to get into a good outfitting mm. business. Um, you know, you do a course for 10 days and you expect to go and hunt, mm. you know, that year. So, you know, I advise the guys just to put the time in, you know, approach an outfitter, ask them if they can go on a couple of hunts, you know, even if it's unpaid, you know. Yeah. I did the same thing as a mm. as a lighty grown up. And, uh, you know, you just got to get that experience. And, you know, you, you might get your foot in the door and take it from there. Uh, because that's the thing. There's no real apprenticeship anymore with the guys. You know, they do their course 10 days and they have PH and they yeah. expect to, you know, do big five hands by the time the year ends kind of thing. So, yeah. But as as far as hiring a PH on your concession, what would you look for? What are the first signs to give these youngsters something to... You know, Dill, I mean, pretty strict, yeah. I mean, the guys mustn't be party animals, you know. There's nothing yeah. wrong with having drinks with the client. When the client goes to bed, they go to bed, that mm. kind of thing. You know, the guy's got to be well-spoken, you know, manners, that kind of thing. Um, I'm pretty biased. I tend to always go towards guys I know or someone that's recommended yeah. and I give him a bit of a, a run on a small ant and, you know, like a cull ant or something mm. like that and I take it from there, basically. Yeah, that's something I've always looked at with, with these guys coming through the ranks is like punctuality and, and neatness and all that sort of stuff yeah. that doesn't cost you a lot of money, but, you know, it, it makes such a huge impression on, on a lot of guys. So I just, I get worried that there's, you know, we slipped into a, a situation now in the industry, uh, especially in South Africa. This is just my opinion, though, is that um, the guys, especially the outfitters, 
the market's been doing so well. I mean, I think with Donald Trump, everyone's felt the you know that there's been a huge influx of Americans coming in, yeah, from all shapes and sizes. I mean, Oaks that don't have their own businesses that are still coming over that can afford it and stuff. Mm. So he's definitely number one. He's doing something right. But on the flip side is that there's there's now these these pop up outfitters, yeah, that want to try and make a quick buck and do things unethically like we've said and i'm just scared i'm I'm just so scared with the young generation coming through like you say it's so difficult to get into these big hunting ranches and stuff it's just so difficult and these guys will do anything to do it whether it's do things unethically without permits or hunt out a season like you say and it's, it's just so frustrating for me but you know um as far as the market's concerned have have you seen a huge impact from what Donald Trump has done? Has he has he impacted you guys in a positive way this side of the the spectrum, other than the states? Without a doubt, I mean um, the market is going a lot better because we went through a bit of a quiet spell, and okay. uh, you know Donald is uh, big into conservation himself. Mm-hmm. His son's aunt and that kind of thing, so I think it helps us a lot. I mean, uh, he's a firecracker. We all know that, but uh, he's a doer. He's a go getter. Yeah. But now going into his second term, we actually I spoke to a guy last night about it. Is do you think when 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 would you suggest as far as the South African, like we said, the lion trophy hunting and all that sort of stuff? When do you think would be the best time for him to pull the trigger? Now, early next year, or does he wait for his second term to come into place? And okay. I would think he'd wait until his second term. I don't okay. think we're going to see it in a hurry, okay. especially captive breed lion hunting, because um, I mean, unfortunately, there's a lot of guys that are against it. Um, they don't see how necessary it, it is to the industry. Yeah. So I think he'll wait until his second term. The guys, the guys that have had like huge Im- influence. Um, as far as the lion hunting, it's been pretty much all overseas, am I correct? And that we haven't had too much of an impact here in South Africa. I mean, we've had it on a few TV channels and that sort of stuff. But no one's really, I, I just get the sense that no one's really against it yet. Yeah, I mean, South Africa's a hunting country. I mean, obviously we do have, you know, the greenies that are against it yeah, and yeah. they do uh, throw their arms up when they see the whole thing. Um, but you know what, if you're doing everything ethically and, uh, you know, we had, a bit of bad publicity on carp launch and that kind of thing yeah. about uh, lion hunting. If you're doing it the right way, then you shouldn't have any problems. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's just, I just also get the feeling that sometimes these things get taken the wrong way, and you know, you the negative side of things comes out instead of a lot of the positive, and that that's just so frustrating. Um, but Rich, moving in um, to like your rifle calipers and stuff like that. What what would you suggest? know clients bring out if they want to bring their own rifles i know you guys offer a rifle service yeah um not a lot of outfitters do do that but these guys bring in their own rifles some guys over cater <laughs> way too yeah, big for yeah. the situation or bring too much ammo what would you suggest for them to bring bring out yeah um you know i base it off of basically what they're going to hunt and i'll advise what caliber they should use but you know anything in the 30 cal range is pretty good um if you're going to shoot planes game um you know we do have our legal minimums that we allowed in the eastern cape uh, for certain species um and then you know when it comes to dangerous game um you know a lot of guys bring over the biggest thing they can but then they get a recoil yeah and results in a couple of mistakes along the way so you know whatever you shoot best and what you're comfortable with and you know it's the legal minimum for it whatever it might be mm. that's what i recommend you bring and 
the distance shooting or what, what what sort of distance can guys expect on hunting let's f- go from your planes game to to your more like your bushback your kudu hunting type of thing yeah i mean uh yeah we, we are we in a career there's a lot of open plains as well as a lot of mountains so it just depends on your stalk and that kind of thing but any ph that i get you i try and tell them you know get within 200 yards mm. the guy's comfortable but there are certain species like the springbok on the flats where you might take a 300 yard shot yeah. you know but i mean just depending on the stalk and you know, we shoot them up to 50 yards away so yeah. put in the time that's all on the stalk and uh, you'll get the result uh, <laughs> uh i always said you know when i did a a hunt earlier this year i just said we some guys would have so much more opportunity if we just practice those long distance shots yeah but i know it's it's at the time it's it's tempting but it's also it's it's risky you know i've seen so many times people come over and they try these uh way off shots and they 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 can stuff a safari up and that's i think that's one of the things that they make hunting just so much more challenging than what it is but um Rich, and then as far as gear is concerned, do you guys need to bring sleeping bags? Um, do you guys camp or what? what is what is there on option as far as accommodation and stuff? Uh, look, uh, all our lodges are pretty luxurious. I mean, we've got everything for you. Okay. You know, you just got to bring your clothing and we do laundry every day, that kind of thing. Um, you know, the basics, binos, a, a knife, uh, yeah. your rifle if you're going to use it. Most important, I'd say, is a pair of binos. I mean, a lot of guys forget binos behind. Yeah. It's difficult uh, trying to point down something if a guy doesn't have binos. Yeah, or we'll try and yeah. look through the scope or yeah. something like that. But uh, and then, Rich, bow hunting. Do you guys accommodate bow hunters? I see. That's that's yes, that's one side of the hunting that's grown tremendously. Yeah, we, uh, you know, that's one of the things that we do try and market quite a bit. But we market at the late season, you know, August, September kind of thing. Um, when it dries off and the animals come more into the blinds, you know, to okay. water holes and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got nine blinds on the property, um, elevated blinds, pit blinds. So, yeah, we just finished off a bow a little while ago and uh, we've got six or seven animals. So, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. All coming in, but yes, it's been dry. Yeah, yeah it's no. terrible. Um, and then, Rich, as well, like, what... what as far as guys landing at the airports and stuff, what's the next step? Do you guys collect at the airport? Um, what's the steps going forward from there? So basically, uh, we offer the service of pick up and drop off. Uh, we don't charge guys for it. Uh, so, yeah, we collect them there to help them with their rifles, you know, if they've brought over. And, yeah, uh, it's pretty straightforward when it comes to that department. We also help with permits, uh, applying for a rifle permit to bring into the country, that kind of thing as well. Yeah. Okay. And... Um, I know there's a few species on the list at the moment. Uh, do guys need to apply for permits before they come out to South Africa? If so, what sort of animals, what sort of species are we looking at? Um, <coughs> yeah, I mean, RB, that kind of thing, uh, we apply beforehand just to try and speed up the process. Um, That's you know, through fish and game, eh? Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's certain species, scientists and top species that you do need to apply beforehand. But other than that, uh, the taxidermist, helps you with that process as well you know they'll apply for the permits and okay yeah and then getting into that so the hunt's done who do you recommend as a taxidermist you recommend them taking it back over to the states i know we've got some top quality guys here in south africa what what's the next step going forward from there yeah i firmly believe that uh you know you shoot stuff in africa 
a good African outfit is going to do it better than any yeah. guy overseas, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I wouldn't shoot a whitetail over there and bring it over here to mm. have it mounted because I just don't think the guys have enough experience. But uh, there are some great outfits. Uh, I mean, uh, taxidermists in America that do African animals that are really good. Yeah. Um, we personally uh, use splitting image taxidermy. They, you know, they're yeah. top 10 in the world. they magnificent. I won't send any of my own personal trophies to anyone else. I mean, we've, We've gone through guys that, uh, you know, who won't be recommending or using again. Yeah. So we've built a good relationship with splitting image. Yeah, yeah it's pretty, it's also like the, the outfitting side of things. Just guys trying to make a quick buck and take chances and stuff and the split on the taxidermy side of things. But splitting image is an interesting one to me because I think they, they're the only guys that actually offer, I think it's a lifetime warranty because once once it gets mounted and they ship it out, they've also got guys in in the states that actually do it. It's American taxidermy. Yeah, taxidermy yeah. America, which is a branch of splitting image. But they handle everything from shipping to crating to I, don't know, I mean, one one thing I wanted to chat to you about. Um, I heard, I've, I must say, I, I I was I was guilty of doing this. Um, are you allowed if you come over in a group? <coughs> can guys uh, crate together? You know, that's another thing. It changes every second month or so. But uh, basically what you can do is you can crate together, but it has to be on different pH registers. You can't go and, you know, have father, son, or, you know, three or four friends and just put it under one person's yeah. name on the pH register. Um, it has to have the separate permits and uh, registers, but you can crate it in one crate. Okay. And if a hunter wants to, um, for instance, uh, suggest or, or ask if he can have anything extra done, I know I had two clients this year that wanted furniture done. Is that all possible? I know splitting image do do a little bit of it, but we had to outsource some of it. You know, do you suggest? Because I know a lot of guys come over here and then, and then the trophy rooms are full and all that sort of stuff. And um, a lot of guys come out and then they shoot the cull animals. There's just so much you can do with that animal to still give it a little bit of respect in your house and stuff. Um, is this all possible through you guys? Do you guys offer this sort of service? Yeah, or? without a doubt. I mean, we do. A splitting image, that department has grown quite a bit now yeah. with furniture and that kind of thing, you know, ottomans, couches, um, lampposts, all that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is a service that we do offer. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, brochures showing the different things that we can do this side, so yeah. Rich, um, so that's pretty much all the guys need to cover from as far as meeting you guys at the booth and asking these sort of questions. Um, I want to know from you guys now, going forward um what what can you guys do differently to make yourselves different in in this so tightly contested market so what what what, do you, what makes you guys different to what the other guys are doing you know Dil, that's a bit of a difficult one to answer but you know the, the most uh, important thing in my opinion is honesty mm. you know, be transparent when you book a hunt you explain mm. exactly what you got don't oversell yourself. I yeah. mean, a lot of guys will promise the world to someone and they get over there and you know, it's nothing yeah. like it. So what I tell you you're going to get, that's what you're going to get. And I mean, we offer a good service here. We've got a lot of pride in what we do. Mm. So yeah, that, I think to me that's the most important thing. Because a lot of the times it's, it's also not, you know, the quality of animals is always going to be there, but it's also about the experience and, and it's sharing memories with people. And, and, and that's that's what I think 
with the market being like it was now this year, I think outfitters tend to forget that sort of thing. You know, they just um, they just want to shoot, 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 and you know the experience will just fall into place. But I think it's a very important part of the whole setup. But um, my 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 biggest thing is is that is that what what more can be done as far as hunting is concerned to to make these people aware to make these guys want to come out so we need to start converting non-hunters into hunters and is there a way that maybe we can look at getting guys involved on the meat processing side of things understanding where the meat is going is it going to these villages do you guys offer the school tours i know we donated quite a bit of money to the local schools yeah and look after the farmers workers kids um that sort of stuff is that are you guys involved in that sort of stuff are you guys taking these people out can we see these sort of things you know that's that's an Im- very important part into this whole business i think that we yeah dill i mean uh we involved with a couple of different projects um first of all we've got uh Itemba trust which is orange grove school um yeah. you know 20 k's away we take the guys on tours and just show them what uh, hunters uh, dollars have done for the school i mean the whole school is basically built off of uh, mm. donations and uh, that kind of thing in fact my daughter goes to the school um, okay. and those of us that, are, that can afford to pay school fees pay like myself but yeah. there are kids that are sponsored by hunters and uh, another thing we do is we um, sponsor meat to the local orphanage uh, in Tarkestad so you know, i mean i think it's very important to do things yeah. like and give back to the community and the projects and uh, I mean, we process a lot of meat for the lodge. Our staff on the property, they all get meat. I mean, we don't charge anyone for that kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, it's appreciated and it goes a long way. Rich, as far as trackers are concerned, as a PH, um, looking after your clients' stuff because they're spending a lot of money to hunt with these outfitters, what do you expect from a PH and a tracker's point of view? How they need to handle these trophies? Um, what steps need to be taken to make sure that the best quality uh, skins and stuff are prepared? Yeah, I mean, <coughs> you know, these guys are coming over and they're paying for basically investment, you know, yeah. the trophy to take back. So I think it's very important, you know, you go out, you hunt your animal, get it skinned as quick as you can and get it into the salt shed and uh, sorted out and cured. I mean, don't be out in the field, uh, you know, the whole day, especially mm. with the heat with a trophy on the back of the vehicle because you're going to lose your trophy with the hair slip and you're going to lose your meat, you know. That's nothing to bring an animal back and then head out again. Um, And, you know, as a PH, I think it's very important. I mean, you know, I've got some brilliant guys here working with me. My trackers are, I trust them with my life, basically, when it comes to trophy handling and that kind of thing. But it's also good as a PH to check on your guys, you know, make sure they're doing the right job and that kind of thing. And when you ship the stuff off, make sure it's tagged right, all that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. So you guys handle everything from once that animal hits the ground, there's tags, there's salt, there's uh, pretty much everything gets handled according to what needs to be done, all the precautions and stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we just make sure it arrives in the States or, you know, our local taxes are doing this correctly and there's no problems. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the other things is, you know, you get a lot of the guys that hunt out, Make sure you've got a salt solution with you, you know. If you yeah. have to skin the animal out there, don't be putting it in just your cooler box and bring it back after a day's hunting. Get it in salt as quick as you can. Kill that bacteria before mm. something happens so to it. You said salt solution. Is that something similar we do to, like, the clip swinger? Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, a drum of water, 
mix with salt and I like to use a bit of uh, Savlon in the solution, you know, it just prevents air slip, it kills bacteria, all mm. that kind of thing. Because the clip spring is one of the animals I don't know about when I went hunting in Croft and F4. And I mean, the one of the taxidermists, I phoned him, I said, listen, what do I do? He says, no, just get a bucket and uh, like you said, I think it was Dettel at the time, mm. some of that sort of stuff. So these sort of things, especially, you know, you, you learn from, from guys like yourself and all these but um, it's important to know these steps. Yeah, so for sure. um, I think experience pays a, a, a long way in this sort of thing. I just I get irritated with these youngsters that get out of cut and they don't want to listen to the older generation and they don't want to listen to guys that have all done this sort of thing, you know. And this, I must say, PHing for me has been one of those um, scenarios where I, I went through my teen teenage phase where I thought I knew every bloody thing under the sun. Not much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get you get into hunting and you realize you know you, you actually know a, a hell of a you actually know actually fuck all yeah. you know nothing. So it's nice to hear and learn from your you know guys like yourself and Uncle Ash King and all these sort of guys. You know, so I, I like to. Around the campfires, I like to listen and, and take in what I need to take in, like a little sponge, you know. Um, but Rich, this Tiny 10 thing, I wanted to chat to you a little bit about it. It's taken off like you can't believe, like wildfire. Um, what sort of species are we looking at on the Tiny 10? When do you think guys should actually pursue it? And, uh, and where, you know, where do you hunt these sort of species? Yeah, I mean, Dill, um, I think it's uh, something that starts with a bit of experience and a couple of trips into Africa. There's nothing wrong with starting on your species, like yeah. the Steenbuck, Daka, that kind of thing. But uh, there's a lot of travel involved with the Tiny Ten. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, some of the guys mistake a couple of the animals on the Tiny Ten, especially the less experienced pHs and that kind of thing. And they say the Vol Rebuck and the Mountain yeah. Rebuck are part of the Tiny Ten, which they're not in a part of the Tiny Ten. I mean, you can Google it and you can find on the internet what yeah. is the actual tiny ten, you know. And to me, that is also one of the most exciting things trying to get there. Yeah. But there's a lot of travel involved with it. You know, it's not something uh, many hunters come over and finish in one yeah. safari. You know, it takes a couple of years for a lot of guys to get all those animals. You know, hunting different areas, different parts of Africa, that kind of thing. But I think that's what I think that's what we also um, guys guys always want to bring a client back and i think that was one of the top things that that actually keep guys coming back for st stuff because you know like i said to you your wall space gets full um it, it gets very difficult to to try and find a reason to come back over but so you know it ranges from coastal hunting right up into inland am i correct yeah for sure i mean you know, I'll call out the list yeah i mean we've got demora duck duck uh, blue darker common darker Red Forest Darker, uh, Cape Kreisbach, Charles Kreisbach, Clipspringer, Oruby, Stiembach, and Suni. I mean, a lot of those are here in the Eastern Cape. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you get the ones that you have to go in the Tellway, into Mozambique, Namibia, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of travel involved. Yeah. So what I'd suggest to the guys, um, you know, start with the Eastern Cape uh, Tiny Ten list, which yeah. a lot of them are in the Eastern Cape, and you can knock them off pretty quick. And then, you know, when you want the stuff in Namibia, you book a whole safari there. Even it means that you get that one animal there, but at least you can hunt other species there at the same time. Okay. And then, Rich, as far as one of the questions actually on my social media 
platforms, I think it was on Instagram, the guy asked me if there's server available. Now, I know there's, there's the servit and there's a serval, um, but neither of them are available in the Eastern Cape, am I correct? No. Um, there are permits being issued in the Free State. Um, in fact, I have to hunt one there next year. Okay. The serval. So, yeah, I mean, there's also not a... A lot of is- permits being issued, so you know you got to get in pretty early with them. Yeah, the, I, th- I think Free State was one, and Natal, eh? Yeah. Natal, there's quite a few of them up there. Um, <coughs> so I know you're going to be biased towards this question, but try not be. If you had to recommend a place to start um, your African safari, uh, where would it be and why? Yeah, Dill. I mean, I've hunted all over. Um, the Eastern Cape I hold very close to my heart. And uh, it's not from a point of being biased, but we can accommodate more species in the Eastern Cape than okay. most other provinces. I mean, uh, Biomia is unbelievable. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, like I say, there's just so many species to hunt here. You know, you've got the coastal belt, you've got the Karoo. There's just so much that we can offer, um, you know, the American hunters or the foreign hunters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And other something I learned from our last podcast with Mr. Bassett was he does the Bushman paintings, just how rich in history this area is, actually. And as far as facilities are concerned, I mean, yes, we've got some of the best. I mean, from deep sea fishing to bungee jumping after the safari tough yeah. thing, all those sort of activities, there's just so much to do here in the Eastern Cape. It's a little, guys, I, I, I see this often when I go over to the shows, everyone wants to run to Limpopo. And uh, I've hunted in Limpopo a few times, especially on the border of Botswana. And I just, I don't want to slate them or anything, but I don't see how they have, not the facilities, but um, the environment that we've got and what we create over over here. But um, why do people run there? Is it because they can hunt brown hyena up there, I'm sure? Yeah, look, they do have species that we can't offer here. you know, hyena, the southern greater kudu, which are, you mm-hmm. know, there are more properties coming in with southern graters in our area. Yeah. But, you know, there's just so many outfitters from Limpopo. So, yeah. you know, they flood the market up there. Um, you know, Dill, I mean, we got a property up there as well. Um, we do mostly bow hunting in the area. But it's just, you know, people need to experience the Eastern Cape and Limpopo to be able to distinguish between yeah. the two. I mean, yeah, I don't want to slate the guys. There's some great outfitters up mm. in that area. There's some great areas there. But a lot of it is very flat, uh, you know, different hunting, a lot of bushveld hunting, close quarter combat, yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the properties just aren't as big as, uh, a lot of the properties aren't as big as what we got available here in the Eastern Cape. But it's because it's so thick there. I mean, yes. Yeah. Like you said. But, um, <coughs> Rich, another thing I wanted to find out from you was that... Um, hunting these different places okay what what would you see as an as an overall perspective as as who how are we managing these places correctly as far as like i said we've we've had such a good good um uh good hunting season this past year but how how do outfitters know what their quota is what what's what's the main um thing to look for with with these taking your quota off you know you know you've only got so many water buck bulls that you can take off a year when do you start seeing that guys are pushing the, their limits and when aren't they because like you said the market's been a bit flooded up there 
Um, and it's it's messed up quite a bit of the pricing countrywide, I guess. Um, so it, it makes it a little bit more competitive in, in a sense that you're selling things for a lot less than what you were two or three years ago. So what 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 are you getting for your animal? Uh, you know, the pricing's got to be accurate. So when do you know, when, as, an, as a guy coming in, how do they know when a price is too cheap, too good to be true, and when do you know it's too much to be paying for? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Dill, reputation is everything in this industry. So it goes back to being honest about your numbers and that kind of thing if you do have the species available. Um, but, you know, when you don't have the species available, the guys hunt out, you know. Yeah. And I think quota is a very important thing. I mean, we do game counts here once a year, and, you know, we determine what can be taken off. Once we've reached those numbers, you know, we go out to our other properties or other concessions and we take off numbers there. I mean, you, you know, you can't decimate the population. You've yeah. got to leave something for breeding and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think it's very important to have quotas in place. And, um, you know, it's like any property in South Africa. You know, you do introduce new bloodlines and that yeah. kind of thing. You, um, you know, herd bulls and that kind of mm. thing to keep the things going. Um, so, yeah. But... um. What, what this has been a big thing that's come up in the past two years or so, especially on social media. What can guys look out for as far as hidden costs are concerned? Because I know Mozambique was one famous one with art, you know, they didn't share their transport fees. There was a whole bunch of fees, you know, trophy care fees and all that sort of stuff. Do you guys differentiate yourselves from them? Do you guys have an all inclusive package or? Once the hunt is here, do you guys discuss things going forward? Uh, look, I try and give them as much information before they come over, what to expect cost-wise and that kind of thing. And, you know, if the guys have got a, a list of animals that they, you know, want to hunt, and I usually get splitting image or whoever it might be to quote on that list on, you know, they know what their hunting package is going to cost mm -hmm. with me. You know, I give them everything. And then, you know, then they can decide. Here's a full list of animals. Are you going to you know shoulder mount uh, pedestal whatever it might be and then they quote them on shipping and everything like it so they there's no hidden costs at the end of the day i mean they're well informed of what's gonna be the end expense do they often come onto your guys ranch and meet the guys up front or is it just purely over email phone that sort of stuff um a lot of the time they do when they do have a gap they um you know come and chat to the guys and that kind of thing usually at the end of the safari um, and then they explain fine the detail of how you know they want their things mounted and that kind of thing and from a logistical point of view splitting image is the best i mean they follow up all the time with a the client they send them pictures of trophies how they want it mounted whatever it might be yeah. so you know once it's uh in their hands there's very little for me to do on my side rich um then the next big thing that also guys tend to ask questions of especially at the lodge i know you guys have got a few pamphlets in your um in your rooms and stuff on tipping guards we all know being in this industry that a tip is is something that you know it's earned and doesn't have to happen um but if these guys want to give a bit of a gratitude what what sort of do you what sort of um line baseline do you guys give them that you work off of well, Dilla, it's part of our uh, information package that I send to the guys, you know, their bases, um, you know, the tip base on what they should receive or give and that kind of thing. But, I mean, it's not a compulsory thing, you know. You go according to how your PHN tracker has performed for you. Mm. Um, 
and that boils down to the pH again. I mean, it's not 100% 19, 50% to 75% of it is your personality. Yeah. If you get a guy to like you, all the hunting's going to fall into place, you know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, that is the most uh, source of income for the guys is the tips and that kind of thing, yeah. so it does help. You know, and you go out of the way and, you know, someone's going to look after you at the end of the day. So what, you're guessing $20 a day? No, I mean, on average, uh, we recommend that a PH on Planes game gets about $100 a day. Um, dangerous game, hunt, you know, 150 to $200 a day. Okay. Um, you know, and the tracker on a seven-day hunt is getting about 150 to $200. Okay. And obviously, there's the camp staff as well, which I'm actually yeah. not sure of the numbers now. Um, but, yeah, they also get tipped and that kind of thing. And the guys, I mean... You know, it goes according to what they can afford, really. Yeah. I mean, we don't expect money, but, I mean, it's greatly appreciated. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the trackers love getting gifts. You know, let it yeah. be a little knife, a little skinny knife, mm. or a pair of sneakers, or a pair of hunting boots, or a little camo jacket, whatever it might be, or a hat. You know, they love that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It just adds, like, a little personal touch to the whole safari as well, because there's, there's PHs and trackers and stuff. You've always got those guys that you remember safari off of. Yeah. But, um... <coughs> where can you so we're heading over now to the shows now in January early early January where are you guys going to be where can everyone find you um, have you guys got booth numbers yet I don't think have we got booth um, yes now I've got our booth m numbers they've been issued already so okay. basically Dill will be starting in uh, Dallas then we'll be heading over to Reno um, the SCI in Reno and then down to the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg. I mean, that's quite a big one for us. It's always done well for us. And in between, we'll be basically hosting game dinners with clients that want to see us and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, we've got quite a busy five-and-a-half, six-week schedule. Yeah, Rich, um, Harrisburg's before Dallas, huh? is it? No, it's at the end. It's in okay. February. Okay. Your biggest client base, obviously, is the American side of things. Um, where... Next up, Spanish close by, or is that market sort of fizzling away? No, I mean, uh, the European market's pretty live and well. Um, to be honest, it's just, you know, I'm a single man, so yeah, I run most of the marketing myself, yeah. Okay. And to get everywhere is pretty difficult, and the yeah. American market is treating us pretty good. So mm -hmm. at this stage, we are concentrating on marketing in America. Um, I do have a guy in England that markets hands for us. We okay. get a few cull hands from England um, because that's another important thing, you know. Yeah. Overpopulation of species, and it helps to have the English clients come over and cull those species yeah. for you as well. Um, yeah, as the company grows, and maybe I can um, bring in a little whippersnapper to train up and uh, <laughs> help me with that kind of thing. Um, these are obviously the PHs that uh, work for the company here that do go over and help me market as well, you know. Yeah. So you, you, you've pretty much got a, a set list of PHs that you start off with. And then, number one, how can PHs get hold of you guys if they are looking for work? I know you guys are pretty full at the moment. And then uh, where can guys that want to know a little bit more about Comrade, where can they find you on social media, websites, or wherever the case may be? Yeah, I mean, we have a pretty active Facebook page. You can look it up, Comrade Safaris, and as well as our website. Our website is pretty up-to-date. We've already released... Uh, uh, 2020 prices and packages on the okay. website so yeah look us up uh, my email is pasted all over the place you know if they um, want to send me a direct message on facebook messenger or an email um, they're more than welcome to do that um, you know, pretty much look me up on facebook richard bridger
Rich, you'll be contacting guys uh, as far as game dinners and concerned. Is that uh, open to everyone or is it just a select few? Yeah, I mean, if um, like I've advertised on Facebook, if uh, you want me to come and do a little game dinner in your area, I will try and fit you in most definitely. Um, but generally what happens is, you know, so someone that's been here in the past uh, arranges a game dinner with their friends and I go over there and I do a bit of a presentation of what we're about and that kind of thing. So you've got a captive audience and it uh, works yeah. pretty well when it comes to the marketing kind of okay, thing. Okay. So you're going to be spending the whole month over there? Yeah, pretty much. Mm. I mean, Long time away from the wife, eh? No, no, she's coming with us, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, um, then just to end off, uh, heading into next year, are you guys fully booked? Are there still spaces open? When do you suggest is the best time to come over, um, especially for the guys that it's their first time or whatever the case may be? Um, we still got quite a few spots open. We are, you know, pretty full, but there are spots open. Um, you know, we got to obviously save for when we go over to market and that kind of thing because you're going to be booking hunts that time of the year. Um, you know, I mean, uh, get hold of me and I can help you. I can assist you from the beginning to the end of your safari. But do you normally suggest guys looking to hunt, give it about a two two year leeway? Yeah, I mean, you know, Bill, it all boils down to affordability at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I'll have guys booking now in January and February that will be hunting uh, in 2020. You know what I mean? Um, so basically, I mean, a year leeway would be a good uh, heads up kind of thing. Um, give them time to get their ducks in a row, mm -hmm. as well as us. I mean, you know, uh, May, June, July, August are good hunting months. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the later of those is very good for archery. So, yeah. Yeah, because the and the Impala and that sort of stuff are rutting around that sort of thing. Yeah, April, May is a good rut time. I mean, Kuru are phenomenal that time of the year. Because yeah, they get like us, they get stupid when they yeah, see a few. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Rich, yes, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out. I know you guys have got a busy schedule now, especially now without the rain and stuff. So, But thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to sink a few beers when we go over to the States for those shows. Yeah, 100%. And your pleasure, Dill. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, I wish you all the best with the show. Lekker. Shop right. Have a good one. Cheers.